Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, I am going to be talking about parental anxiety and how it impacts children. Parents' anxiety is uh, a big topic of mine because I was raised in a very anxious home, and it made me a very anxious child. So when I work with people, with adults who are very anxious, I know innately what that is like, that experience for their children. And it led to a lot of anxiety issues in me as a child, most of which were able to be hammered out when I was an adult. And I, I, I very much didn't want to be anxious. And I tried to go the opposite and do many um, things that I had been raised to think were very dangerous. And um, anxiety is all different types, general, social, Um, It can be uh, phobias. It can be about health. They're all types of anxiety. Now, by the way, just because I conquered most of my anxiety does not mean that that, uh, you can just not worry about the long-term impact of your anxiety while your kid is young because eventually it's easy for them to just get rid of it, no biggie. That's like completely not true for um, a variety of reasons. I was in a unique situation. First of all, I mean, I was studying to become a psychologist. So, I mean, you don't really need your kid to go uh, become a psychologist to fix their own childhood shit. I mean, most of us psychologists um, do have quite a lot of childhood issues that made us interested in the field, but that is not what uh, any of us are going for as parents, right? Have your kid have to pick their career um, subconsciously, but honestly, fairly consciously based on their own crap. But also, uh, my home was so crazy altogether that it was very obvious to me to try to um, reject and counter a lot of the narratives that I received at home, including anxiety. Now, many people are not in this situation. So if, for example, let's say you're an anxious woman, you and your husband seem pretty normal. Otherwise, you're pretty happy, except that you have um, pretty bad anxiety, which you pretend kind of isn't there, except you secretly listen to podcasts like this because you kind of do know it's there, which bravo for you for understanding on some level that it's something to work on. So, but let's say that you guys are pretty normal, um, you know, uh, white picket fence kind of family. Well, then your kid doesn't think that you're so crazy that he should interrogate all of your, uh, teachings. Your kid actually learns that your anxiety is normal and the correct way to view the world because otherwise you guys are pretty successful in the world. So 
I didn't think that. <laughs> so I interrogated every which way that I was raised. And uh, that helped me in the long run conquer the anxiety. But, you know, it's also not a goal of yours to have a house that's so insane that your child doesn't trust anything that you say. <laughs> that is not like the supposed to be the end point for healthy parenting. So if you have anxiety and your child really kind of respects and trusts you in general, they are going to learn your anxious worldview and take it as truth. And it will be much harder for them as adults to even know that it's an anxious worldview at all. So let me give you some examples. The overarching theme of anxious parents when they're talking to their kids is that the world is a dangerous place filled with people who you can't trust. Now, obviously, there's a spectrum with everything. So some people will outright say that. And some people will just kind of like make little comments, you know, oh, was that really safe? Oh, when you went over there and you did that, was, you know, did that parent watch you enough or make little comments about how, um, you know, uh, dangerous or unhealthy or unsafe or risky various things are out in the world. I mean, you can easily inculcate an anxiety disorder in your child just with these little comments. There's a great study. So there was a um, like a glass floor and babies were encouraged to crawl across it and they could see down in the lab through the floor. So, I mean, a baby doesn't have a lot of experience with optical illusions. It looks like they're going to crawl out in the air. And if the parent was on the other side of the floor, encouraging them happily and clapping, come, come here, the kids went fine. They crawled right across, even though to them it was like a very <laughs> strange scenario where they felt like they were in the middle of the air. But when parents acted anxious because experimenters told them to, then the babies wouldn't go. So here's a situation that was totally safe, and you could see that babies changed how they acted based upon what the parent acted like. So this is the same thing. I see a lot of parents who now have children who will not leave the nest or who will not engage in developmentally appropriate milestones, such as wanting to drive or wanting to live on their own, wanting to get a job, wanting to engage with the uh, opposite or same gender uh, sexually or romantically. And they don't like this child's anxiety anymore. But just a couple of years ago, when the child was a teenager, and certainly for the childhood before that, they were talking about the frequency of car accidents. They were talking about the frequency of, of, of um, bad things happening in the world where you can't trust people that you date or that you sleep with or that you work for or whatever else. So they were acting as though they could protect the child. This is, a, this is an illusion. This is an anxious parent's favorite illusion. It's through enough research and prep work, you can protect your child from anything bad happening to them. So if you're telling your child up to like age 18, implicitly and explicitly that they just have to do what you'll tell them and then they'll be fine, and then you expect them to be independent adults, I mean, how's that going to work? They are going to still be using you as the touchstone for everything that is dangerous or not. But now, in a horrible irony, when you encourage them, hey, why don't you go out? Why don't you ask somebody out? Why don't you, you know, uh, drive to New York with your friends? Why don't you whatever? They still remember all that other stuff. They kind of don't know why you're encouraging to them to do this anxiety-provoking 
stuff. Now, to begin with, it's usually because at this point, the parent has finally recognized the impact of all of this anxiety makes the child not want to live their own life. You know, and parents find it very hard in this generation to tell the child to go out on their own. Instead, they try to gently suggest that maybe, theoretically, they might want at some point to go out on their own, which, you know, is not really uh, a lot of um, force. So the child just kind of sticks around endlessly. This is nobody's preferred outcome, is to have a child that is too scared to engage in the normal life activities of adulthood and to be developmentally akin to their peers, right? So we're all on the same page with that, that we want functioning, independent adults when our children, for, for that to be the children's end goal, is functioning independent adults. Well, in order to do that, we can't give them the narrative that the world is scary, that it is overwhelming, that it is filled with negative things, negative people. I always like to talk about what if your child died in a car crash, right? I mean, everybody knows that's a possibility, but you don't stop your kid from getting into a car because you know how that would constrict and constrain your child's life, right? You know that there's a possibility, of course, of your child choking on food. You still feed your child. Everything doesn't come through a straw, hopefully, right? So there are these things that we know that we have to do. Really, everything in life could potentially go badly, but you have to, have to, have to do them because you want your child to be normal. Now, being normal by the way, some people are like, oh, well, why should my child just fit in? Do these people remember being a child? That's like the whole goal. That's it. I mean, you're a mammal. You want to fit into a group of fellow mammals of your age. This is true for, I mean, watch what Nat Geo, you know, watch that meerkat show. Everybody wants to fit in to be part of a group. If you're the only freak that has to uh, take the bus because your parents are scared to let you get into a car, you're not going to have a really awesome social life, you know, because you're not able to do any of the things that the other kids could do. You're going to feel terribly embarrassed and ashamed. But it's really no different if, for example, everybody wants to go to a party, but you are too anxious to allow your child to attend this party as a teenager because there might be drinking or or there might be something else. Now, of course, people understand that if their child is begging to go to something and they don't let their child go to it, that that may lead to a breach in their relationship. They may think this is important or not based on how anxious they are. But what about the situation where, which I increasingly see now, where the parents have inculcated the child in this belief system that things are so anxious that the child doesn't even ask to go. (laughs) So, I mean, then is this really a victory? This is pretty bad. So the child is innately does not want to go to the party or they don't want to um, get it, learn to drive, or they don't want to uh, really, I mean, I could tell you stories of so many things that kids are scared to do socially, generally, because it will, um, like, socializing in COVID. So there's kids that are too scared to socialize even outside 
because they got so scared from all the crazy rhetoric they were hearing at home from anxious parents that COVID made even more anxious. So then they won't do a play date at the park when they need to do a play date at the park because that's a normal social interaction and they get too anxious about it and they get too anxious about where their mask is and how close they are and all of those things that really a child does not need to be deeply worrying about. Okay, so that would be bad for the child's later development, later health anxiety, etc. Social anxiety, parents can pass that on by constantly worrying about what other people think, by seeming to be consumed with not uh, coming off the wrong way. Gee, I wonder what they thought about us, or, or the house is, is a mess. They must have thought we're disgusting, or I, I felt so awkward because uh, we didn't clean up first, and what are they thinking about us? Those sorts of comments can make a child think, boy, everybody is out to judge us. And by the way, also, people who think everybody's out to judge them tend to be very judgmental people. So they're just projecting. So a lot of anxious people, they, they are also very judgmental. So anxiety is a rigid framework of viewing the world, and so is being judgmental. So a lot of people who will say, oh, my God, I'm so anxious about what those people thought about our house, will also judge another person's house for being very dirty. So, you know, it's it, when you feel that the world is a dangerous place and that people aren't really very nice and well-intentioned, you're always trying to get out ahead of that. And frequently the way to do that is by being nasty about other people. You may not think that you're being rude, but little comments here and there are rude. Wow, did that person really think that XYZ was a good idea? Huh, I would never do XYZ. That is the refrain of the rigid-minded person. I would never do and then insert something that they can't know if they would ever do because they've never been that person in that situation that did it. So this is uh, judgmentalness in parents can definitely teach kids to be super close-minded and judgmental. By the way, I've seen this hit really come full circle, bite people in the ass when then they are older, the child is out of the house. Thankfully, these children did get out of the house. They are married. They have their own kids and they're massively judgmental and rigid about what the parents are allowed to do or not do with the kids because they learn this judgmentalness and rigidity at home. So they're just paying it forward, not maliciously, but because they genuinely see the world very black and white. Anxiety leads to very black and white irrational thinking. So for example, people that are anxious will think, my partner's cheating on me, you know, and there's no evidence. There's like no evidence. The partner never cheated on them. They never cheated on anybody. The partner frequently has a tracking device on their phone. But the anxiety will not be rational and frequently will lead to the dissolution of or a major stressor on the relationship when the person is sick of being told that they're cheating when they're not. So that's like one example of irrational anxiety. Another example is this... Um, this health-related, safety-related anxiety. So if you think that every time you go to the play place, your kid gets sick, and then you stop going to the play place, uh, that's where you're going to go next. Then the pool starts to be not a problem. Then this starts to be a problem. Then having people over starts to be a problem. We see how this turns into some very black and white kind of the only safe places are home and school. Sometimes people even get rid of school. You know, I mean, it, anxiety snowballs. It's irrational and it's very black and white. And it only hurts children. There are no 
downsides. No, nobody ever said to me in therapy, boy, my parents were too positive. They really gave people too much of a benefit of the doubt and that really fucked with my head and now I need massive therapy. No, nobody's ever said that to me. I don't even see those people in therapy because they are inoculated against it by this positive mindset. So if you want to really think deeply about how much positivity you show your kids, you know, you may have a, a difficult self-reflection ahead of you if you're an anxious person. There may be very few things that you say that indicate trust in the world, the world is good, good things will happen. You know, it may be more of protect your, your good. You may tell your kid you're good. So protect yourself and kind of be wary of other people. Now, a lot of people, by the way, who had very different upbringings than their children or who had parents with very different upbringings are really just subconsciously teaching the child things from their own childhood or even their parents' childhood that are no longer relevant. So if your parents were very poor immigrants to this country and they lived in a crime-ridden area and they got taken advantage of a lot because they were in a different generation, they didn't know the language, or if this was your grandparents' story, then yeah, they are teaching you as well as they can to like not take a wooden nickel, you know, and to watch your ass and people are out to get you. They're, that was their reality. It's like Holocaust survivors, you know, will teach their children to be very uh, anxious about a lot of things. I mean, no shit. Look what happened. But then the problem comes when this generation just wholly swallows their parents' experience and teaching without reflecting on whether their children now have the same experience, which they often are ensconced in a Tony suburb and have really no biases toward them from anyone. They go to a great school. Everybody seems friendly. There's like neighborhood uh, Halloween parades and stuff. And really nobody is out to get you in any sort of visceral way that was relevant for either your parents or you as a child. So you have to understand the differences and the fact that what you're teaching your child may be completely irrelevant. It would be the same as teaching them to be uh, prejudiced against another race because that's what you grew up thinking. Yeah, you grew up thinking that because the world wasn't where it is now in terms of understanding how bad that is and how backwards that is. So you are then passing on an outdated, harmful belief system, not intentionally, but, I mean, everybody grew up hearing racial and gender slurs, right? But you don't tell your kids to do that now. Yet you still may be saying don't trust anyone when that is a relic of how you or even your parents grew up that is no longer relevant to your child. And also we now know the psychological effects of doing that and we know that they're bad. Your parents didn't know that saying don't trust anyone would fuck with your head forever. Now... Even if you didn't know it before this minute, I'm telling you that you telling that to your kid is going to increase their risk of an anxiety disorder and of rigid black and white thinking by like a million percent. So what do you do with this information, you might ask? Well, if you recognize this negativistic worldview, kind of a slightly paranoid worldview where anything bad could happen at any time, it is likely that you were raised with this worldview yourself 
and therapy can really help you understand what went on in your own upbringing, how your parents' worldview shaped yours, and what is no longer useful and is in fact unhealthy and is being passed on to your own children. So if you are always told, don't climb, don't climb high, you're going to fall, and then you find yourself always telling your kids, be careful, be careful, and you are seeing that they do less things than other kids, well, then that's something to explore. You're noticing it. It's bad. It is then your obligation to try to remedy it and fix it. You want your child to live a full, happy life. There's really no point to live a life in a bubble. Other people that your child sees will feel not constricted, feel free. They run around. They talk to other people. They assume things are going to go well. This is the kind of childhood that you want for your kids. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that you can never tell them, you know, uh, put on your helmet. But it does mean that you don't say, if you don't put on your helmet, then a car is going to hit you and then you're going to die or you're going to be paralyzed. No, you don't have to say that. Kids pick things up from the environment. They know if a car hits you, you die. You don't have to be the one to perseverate on that. Another thing that, by the way, anxious parents do is say things multiple times that they only have to say once. So yes, once you would say to your child when they're like, you know, three, don't run into the street. You could get hit by a car. All right. Well, they remember, you know, I mean, like they, they may still try to run into the street because they haven't developed myelinization of their uh, neurons yet. They can't control themselves. But they remember that you said that they, you'd get hit by a car. It's kind of hard to forget. Same with your kid. If you say you got to study for tests. Oh, cool. They remember. That's a fact. Are they going to decide to do it? you know, it's based on the kid. But do they know that that is something they're supposed to do is study for a test? Yes, you don't have to keep on hammering it home and hammering it home. Once is enough. So let other people uh, kind of model this sort of behavior that are less anxious. So if you have less anxious, really hopefully not anxious, friends or family, although your family's probably anxious. If you're anxious, so forget them. Friends, you'll hear that... They don't, like, if you listen and you actually observe them talking to their kids, they don't say stuff over and over and over. They say it one time. Or they don't say it because they've said it a different time that you weren't around for, and now they don't say it anymore. And things still go fine. So people don't need repeated, uh, you know, reminders of things. This is an anxious person thing, the repeated reminders of how to be safe and what to do right and how to be good. Okay, so that's another thing. So now what you ought to do if this podcast resonates with you is go into treatment for your anxiety. Anxiety is super responsive to therapy, to cognitive behavioral techniques of reframing and of exposure. Uh, Exposure therapy is sitting with your anxious thoughts until they peak and they decrease. I have a lot that I write about this. I can link you to it in the comments about the effectiveness of exposure for anxiety. So you... You can go to a therapist, you can work on your anxiety, and in that case, your kid probably will not even need their own therapist for anxiety later on. Everything is nature and nurture. My favorite study that I talk about all the time, they had these monkeys that were created to be anxious because they were bred to two, you know, two anxious monkeys have a baby monkey. Guess what? It's going to be anxious. So then they adopted them away to different mother monkeys. Some of them were very anxious. Some were not anxious. 
just kind of neutral and some were like really not anxious, like super laid back. Well, the baby monkeys that were genetically wired to be anxious were anxious, obviously, when they were raised by an anxious mother monkey. Then also when they were raised by one that just was, you know, average, they were still anxious because of their genetics. But then when they were raised by this super laid back, hyper, you know, uh, nurturing, not anxious mother monkey, they were not anxious. They were indistinguishable from controls. So it can be done. You can get to be so laid back that you uh, no longer kind of activate your child's genes for anxiety. People have genes, but they can be expressed or not expressed based on their environment. Your job, if you're an anxious person, you've already given your child some genes for anxiety. Now you got to overcompensate by really addressing your anxiety such that you do not come off anxious anymore. That is the best thing you can do in terms of preventing your child from thinking that the world is a dangerous, negative place in which they have to constantly be on guard, which is a real shit way to live. It is really, really not what they deserve. Wasn't what you deserved. And moving forward, not only would you address your anxiety for your child, but for yourself. You do not deserve to have a knot in the pit of your stomach all the time about what you need to do, what you didn't do, what you forgot to do, what all the potential negative ramifications are of what you did do. You know, this is not a way to live. There are other ways. And I will link you to a post I wrote also called What Does It Feel Like to Cure Your Anxiety? So I hope you enjoyed this podcast and found it useful. And please keep listening and subscribe. And I will talk to you guys soon. Have a good day.